Hello and welcome to the last of these short videos produced with our friends at Timeline, which are designed to answer some of the questions we've been asked by Parapanas all about investing. You can find links to the other videos in the description below. And if you've got any questions on this or the other topics we've covered, please get in touch via email or the Big Tent and we'll get an answer for you. I'm really pleased that Timeline is supporting the assembly this year and that we're joined by Laurentius, who knows far more about this than I ever was. So Laurentius, please say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, Richard. Nice being here for a final time. So, Laurentius Vandenvorm, I'm the investment strategist at Timeline Portfolios. Brilliant. It's great to have you along. And uh, if you've watched these videos in order, you'll know we've already covered modern portfolio theory, asset allocation and diversification, including real estate, sequencing risk, pound cost averaging, pound cost ravaging, safe withdrawal rates. And the final video today is looking at forecasting in the current environment. So, there's been Quite a lot of changes in the last 18 months or so. And so the question I posed was, should we still be continuing with our assumptions around how to forecast or not? And Laurentius has done some slides for us, which will pop up on the screen now and is going to take us through them. So Laurentius, over to you. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Appreciate it. I think, Richard, when, when we say forecasting, especially from Timeline's point of view, it's always a very touchy subject because I think if you jump into the first slide, that's usually what we say people beware of the crystal ball um, because we don't believe there are any crystal balls. Um, it's, it's very difficult to, to forecast in the market. However, we also see ourselves as a tech company that basically utilizes our tech to analyze data and that data we use to forecast. But <laughs> the forecasting we do is based on historical data. What we do is we try to understand the markets. We try to understand how can we get the best adjusted returns going forward? And then just look at the history. Is the past still relevant for to, in today's terms? And short answer, yes. We've seen events in the past much worse than the current scenario where we are in. So um, we don't see any reason to believe that the past will not repeat itself. Because if you just look at the past, we've seen events like you can, we, we've talked about that in some of our other videos, but we've seen world wars, we've seen pandemics, we've seen um, terrorist events, we've seen all of these type of black swan events. So we can comfortably use all those informations, combine that with the good times that we've seen and be comfortable that um, the future will have a relatively um, same trend than we've seen in the past. So if we skip through the next slide, which I think the, the first one um, usually is the whole argument of active as passive power. We should be able to forecast. We should be able to outperform the market. Um, I don't want to add this these slides. I don't want to add these slides to, to, to start a whole debate on active as passive management. It just shows you that, and there's a few, we, we can actually have a debate on this because what you see on the screen, stats from S&P, which, which they release showing the percentage of active managers actually outperforming um, their markets. Now, again, not all active managers are trying to outperform their markets. Some of them are trying to be defensive. Some of them are systematic, like we would use in terms of factor funds, etc. So, but it still shows you that it's extremely difficult to outperform the market. If you look at the, the what you see on the screen is the US it shows you that about about nine between nine and ten percent of fund managers I don't, I don't just want to call it active fund managers but in the sense that's what it is people trying to create something other than the market shows that about nine percent of these fund managers are actually succeeding in outperforming their market that's in the u.s you can say well that's a very effective um, 
market similar in the EU. We see the same the 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 same picture in the EU. Two highly efficient markets. But then if you go to a country like Brazil, for example, you will still get the same result. Now, I have cherry picked here, and I usually make a joke. That there's, there's two countries on Spiva that you will see actually has a very good track record. The one is India, and the other one is South Africa. And I usually use the South African slide to tell people, well, there's your proof that South Africans are the best um, investment managers in the world. And given my accent, you can guess where I'm from. But even, even if you look at South Africa and India, you'll see that it goes up to about 20% of active managers outperforming the benchmark. So still the vast, vast, vast majority of people that tries to outperform the market doesn't succeed. So are we trying to say those guys are not good? Or are we trying to say the market in itself is actually very, very good? And I think that's the, the latter is the point that we're trying to make here. First, just get into the market. And that's really where, where you will... Um, see most of your heavy lifting doesn't matter what type of portfolio you have the market in itself will do most of the heavy lifting and um yeah i think the slides that you see now on the screen is a research that we've recently done and there's several of these types of studies out there that was looking at what has the market done over x amount of years so we've looked at 20 year rolling periods periods over the last more than 100 years, starting in 1915. So you're looking at 1,056 rolling 20-year periods. And um, just to see what can you expect per average in the market. If you if we, we use 20-year rolling periods to capture all type of events, people will say, well, the last 20 years shouldn't repeat itself. Well, that's why we use 1,056 rolling 20-year periods. So you start January 1915, February 1915. And what we've seen is, you can expect an annualized return in the market of about 11.53%. Now, people will often say, especially in these times, we've seen what the CAPE ratio is and the valuations are, and it's extremely high at this, at, at this stage. And people are saying, well, maybe we should just move to cash. And that's what prompted us to do this research, because it might not be a good idea. We were looking at what would happen to our portfolio if we just miss an X number of the best trading days in the market over that 20-year period? So the first line that you see, that's what will happen to your return if you only miss five days out of 20 years. So five days out of 5,040 trading days, is assuming there's about 252, 252 trading days a year. So that's really just a drop in the ocean. But look at your return. It goes down from 11.53% per annum down to 9.53, a 2% drop. If you had invested 100,000 pounds, that's almost as from 887 to down to 623. That's a significant drop. And that's just five days. Now, the other screens will show you what happens if you miss 10 days in 20 years, what happens if you miss, I believe, it's 20 days in 20 years. And it just shows you you are basically eroding all your value. And this might be the reason why active managers don't outperform the market. Uh, I've said from the start, these guys are not stupid. They are, they do have superior skills and that's why you, you pay the fees that you have to pay in your highly concentrated markets because you need to hire these guys and they are highly skilled people. But maybe it's not the stock picking that's bad. Maybe it's the fact that they are not picking the stocks all the time. So this is just the, the reason for us to say, ignore the crystal ball, stay in the market and then manage your risk once you are in the market. So uh, final one, when we do, do, try, try to do our forecasting is, well, the first step is 
we say, let's focus on the evidence. What have the markets showed us? Can you outperform the market? And if you just listen to the first part of the of, of this session, you'll think that I don't believe that you can outperform the market. And that's actually not true. I think the investment markets have come a long way with the whole index evolution and um, index funds are outperforming most funds out there. But I also don't think that's where the final chapter will be written. There's certain parts in the market that we know have certain risk characteristics for which investors are expecting higher return. And you can see that, for example, this is just the global equities. What about if we strip out value equities? Then you will see on the next slide, you'll see that value stocks have outperformed the global markets over time. But the answer is why? And the reason is, or the question is why, and the answer is um, because it's more risky. There's a risk-return re re relationship, and we can talk about that in a second as well. But then also you can strip out small-cap stocks, and you'll see that small-cap stocks as we have even outperformed both of them. So there's definitely certain things that you can strip out of the market which have higher risk characteristics. And the easiest way to explain it is how can we be confident that long duration stocks will outperform short duration stocks over time? Because it's more risky, because it's a higher yield is priced in under normal conditions, not in this time where we've got an inverted yield curve, but longer duration bonds are more risky. And that's why investors will only buy longer duration bonds if you're going to promise me a higher yield. Same goes for value stocks, same goes for smaller stocks. It's more risky. It can be behavioral. People want to be in global equities. They don't want to be in small cap stocks and value stocks. Hence, uh, they have to be compensated to be in value in small cap stocks. But there's also more risk. It's more volatile. There's periods of underperformance. We all have seen now big tech has driven growth stocks over value stocks and small cap stocks. So there's definitely periods of underperformance. And those are your risks that you just have to take on and you need to understand the evidence behind the data to understand that it's not always going to outperform. But over the long term, that's how you can, with a high degree of um, confidence, say that this should be do better than the market in general. And then just the final part is um, about how should we forecast? Because obviously, it's actually we're entering into a very interesting time now where the U.S., first of all, will go into an election period. We've seen the U.S. Um, or the Republican primary debates um, taken off quite interesting. We're entering into an election period next year in the U.K. Um, even my own country, South Africa, is entering into election next year. It feels like everybody has an election next year. And I think the slide that I've got here is people will often make fundamental or theoretical hypothesis to say that, well, Labour is going to take over or Republicans are going to take over. Whatever your political orientation is, I think there's nothing that sends people more into a frenzy than just the idea of their party losing control and everything going downhill from there. And the chart that I've said here is just focus on the evidence. If you, if you, if you look back to the last 100 years in the UK, we've had periods of conservative government, of um, Labour government, the markets won't allow politics to dictate its trend. And that's the message that I want to give you. Whether it's a Margaret Thatcher or a Tony Blair, doesn't matter who's in charge of the party. I think we can always make the joke and say, let's trust is the exception. The markets did quite respond, but we, again, we haven't given her enough time to really come 
to, to, to really show the market or to really show what the market can do and how the market will recover. So this is just to show, say politics won't allow the market to change its, its trend. And then people will say, well, um, we don't have 100 years. Let's focus on a shorter time frame, maybe 50 years. And this is the just global equities over a 50-year 50 50 period. And this actually, if you focus on this middle part from, let's say, 2000 to 2010, you'll see a 10-year period of basically no growth. And people can say, well, what if we're going to go through another period of starting with a dot-com bubble that was one of the worst recessions in, in the last 100 years? We've just recovered, went into the global financial crisis. One of the worst um, bear markets or recessions in the last 100 years. That's a 10-year period. What if that's going to happen again? And the short answer is just zoom out. Um, that was a 10-year period. It's probably the worst 10-year period that we've ever seen. And most investors does have a longer time frame than 10 years. And if you can't handle that 10 years, then you shouldn't be 100% in the equity markets. But you should also not avoid it because I think the alternative is much worse. So um, the way you can avoid it is by just looking at different asset classes. And what you see on the screen is basically the return of different asset classes over the last 100 years. And starting right at the bottom, that's inflation. So just look at all these asset classes outperforming inflation. Cash, um, weird to say it in these times that cash outperforms inflation. Inflation is sky high. Cash is actually giving you a decent return these days. But um, the last 10 years, cash gave us no return. So cash might not be the best option um, to guarantee an outperformance over the market. <clears throat> the second line, that's your property. And it's actually a not doing just to property it's just looking at property prices now we all know property has a yield component of roughly five percent maybe seven percent but roughly five percent a net yield of five percent so you need to add that on and what you'll see is that property actually behaves much more like equity as soon as you bring in that yield component so that's probably the one that we're not doing just to and then for the other asset class that's quite interesting gold people will often tell you well we need to run into gold gold is the next best thing that's the safe haven um, especially with this quantitative easing going on, everybody is going to go back into gold. Just look at gold. It has underperformed fixed income. <laughs> so it's just, and look at the volatility. There's nothing even slightly as volatile as gold. So you tell me, is it a good investment? Yes, maybe it's a diversifier. Maybe you will get a lower correlation. But what's the purpose of having something with a low correlation if you're not getting any return? So this brings us to fixed income. Fixed income is actually the one where, yes, you've got a low correlation to equities, got a decent return, much higher than gold, and it's much more stable. So that's why we are saying that it's a safe bet to stick to your traditional equities and bonds. Those equities will include your property. It will include commodities. There will be gold mining companies. You've got your exposure to everything in there. And then the, the, the second two lines just shows you if you mix your portfolios, you've got a balanced portfolio or a growth portfolio, that's the purple and the orange lines, not doing too bad. And the two lines on top, that's just your global equities and emerging markets. So global equities, emerging markets, basically neck and neck since the 1980s, since we've got reliable data from emerging markets, yes, they have outperformed um, developed markets. 
but it's much higher volatility. So you really should be comfortable taking on emerging markets um, or you'd be comfortable taking on the volatility of the emerging markets before expecting a higher return. So it just shows you that there's different ways to capture the market. At the end of the day, equities have proven to create the most wealth and fixed income is not just a debt asset. It has actually performed better than gold and property prices and has outperformed inflation. So then people will also ask us, but what about the next bear market? We've seen horrible bear markets. And then I'll use this chart to, to ask them, well, can you point me to not too long ago, three years ago, when we all thought the world was going to end the COVID pandemic? And very reluctantly, they will point me to the far right-hand side, that little red um, mark that you see. That's the bear market of 2020. Well, it lasted for a full three months, and that's it, when we all thought the, the world was going to end. And this is just a great a chart to use to, to show people, just stay invested. We always tell our clients that in order to outperform inflation, you need to accept some risk. And that risk is just the equity market risk. But then when the markets are becoming expensive, we want to get out of the market. We want to avoid this risk. And I think that's the misconception that we have in the market. It's not about trying to avoid market risk. You need to accept that risk. And if you accept that risk, it means you have to go through it. You can't avoid it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a risk that you are exposed to. So um, just look at all the bear markets we've seen. I think in the 70s, that was your worst bear market that we've ever, ever seen. Um, UK equities down 66%. But just look at the, bear, at the bull market that followed. And that's true for every single bear market. After every bear market, there was a much stronger bull market. And then you can use what we've got on this slide to look at your recovery periods. And you'll see that recovery, as soon as there's been a turning point, recovery in most cases was relatively quick, except you can see those first few periods that was 1929, 1937. Um, that was your periods where uh, recovery was quite prolonged about 70 months, five years, um, or six years. Uh, and then you have to consider which periods those were. Those were your Great Depression between World War One and World War Two. It was really some, um, you can always, always number nine, that was your dot-com bubble, that was five years. So five years ends why we always say um, equities are not for the short term. And here you can see the data, 70 months, that's the longest bear market recovery that we have seen before. So it just shows you, and then some bear markets can be over within 15 months, within 10 months. So it just gives you some perspective as to how long it can take for a bear market to recover. But then also um, after what happened in 2022, Richard, people will ask us, especially this year, are bonds still relevant? Because just look at what happened. You said it had a low correlation with equity, but last year they both were down significantly. And um, I've collated this data just to show you that we've had five periods in the last, what's it now, 80 years, 83 years, only five periods where equities and, and bonds were both down during a one-year period. So we should see it as a, as a statistical outlier. It's not something we expect to happen every now and then. But the other thing is, it's not the first time it happened. We always knew it can happen. It will probably happen again in the future at some point. Um, but 
what about all the other 78 years? There you actually had your lower correlation, your diversification benefit. So it will not be a, the great diversifier 100% of the time, but at least most of the time it will be. And we can do the exact same. Um, so, yeah, I, I think on, on this slide, um, what we've done here is we were looking at if we say bonds are still relevant, how should we allocate within bonds? And basically what we've seen is we know when interest rates goes up, bonds will come down. But what part of the bond market should we then all go to short-dated bonds? Because that actually proved quite well for those positions in short-dated bonds in 2022. But that was only last year. So maybe we could go to long-dated bonds. But what we've seen is it doesn't matter. Sometimes during um, or sometimes when rates go up, shorter dated bonds will outperform. And according to textbooks, it must. Because duration is interest rate risk. If interest rates goes up, how much am I going to lose on my fixed income? That's the definition of duration. So you should expect shorter duration bonds to outperform over an interest rate hiking cycle. Well, we've seen that's not true. Sometimes the market just moves in a way where longer duration bonds actually outperformed. What you see on the screen just shows you that out of the last six interest rate hiking cycles, short-dated bonds have outperformed three times, longer-dated bonds have outperformed three times. So it shows you to take a diversified approach within fixed income as well, and not just within equities, because fixed income does actually have certain parts of the market performing in different scenarios. And then just finally, we can also look at bond uh, um, bull and bear markets, just like we've done in the, on the equity side. Usually when you define a bull market, it's 20% of a market um, decrease over, a, over a, a certain amount of time. You can't use that same definition for bonds because then you'll never be in a, in a, in a bear market. Basically, we'll, we would have seen two bear markets, three bear markets. So what we've done here is we've redefined the definition of a bear market when it comes to bonds. We've said, well, a bear market is going to be a drop of 10% or more. What we've seen is we've had over the last 100 years, three bear markets. And then we can go to the recovery period and see, okay, what's the recovery period going to be? And what you can see on the screen is because the question will be on many advisors, um, in, uh, on many advisors' minds are, can we expect a recovery? Because we haven't seen a recovery yet since last year. Can we expect this recovery? And I think the short answer is yes. And um, on the optimistic side what you can see is all your bear markets once there's been a turning point the recovery was quite rapid except for one scenario just after world war ii where it took 180 months that's 15 years so so i think the message that one should take out here is most likely you can expect an equity-like recovery we've seen periods where bond markets have performed almost 40 percent in a in a year but then we've seen this one period where bonds markets took 15 years to recover. So the message at the end of the day is, yes, you can expect the recovery, but don't rely on fixed income to drive the return of your portfolio. Rather rely on equities to drive the return of your portfolio, but the fixed income will get there. Um, and it will most likely be quite rapidly, but there has been scenarios where it has been prolonged as well. So I think that's... Um, most of the slides that I have today is just a sort of how can we forecast? It's not people always expect if you, have, if you forecast investment returns that you are only going to point out the the rosy picture. And unfortunately, that's not true. You have to, well, 
they expect the rosy picture and so mostly forecasts are only negative because fear and panic is what sells. And I think the way we try to do it is we want to sell both parts. The market is going to could do great, but there's going to be a period that you just have to go through and that's normal. That's part of the market. Mm-hmm. So I think is it, is it a reasonable conclusion to draw from that, that despite what's happened in the last year, two years, which has been quite a shock to many people because you know, they might have only been invested for 10 years or so, um, it's still okay to actually base future forecasting on what's happened in the long term over the past year. And you've demonstrated that there are these, that there are these bear markets, there are these weird little things that happen every now and then, but they've happened before and they're going to happen again. So there's no need to really change the way that you make forecasts. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you should make any changes. And um, yes, you can go into more detail, look at what your um, valuations in the markets are and what happened after the valuations were quite high. And you'll see there's usually a trend after very high valuations, it tends to come down. So how does a valuation come down? Either prices are coming down or earnings are going up. Uh, can we expect earnings to go up when the economy is struggling? I doubt it. So prices will probably come down. But then again, focus on that first lines that I showed you. If you're going to be out of the market, you're going to do much more damage to your portfolio uh, than just riding through it because the recovery will be quite rapid. And I think based on that, you can do your forecasts um, as you've done it in the past. Yeah. And I think the overriding message is equities particularly, it's long term. It's sit tight, you know, stay yep. with it and don't try and time the market recovery. Um, that's the key yeah, message. I agree. And I think at the end of the day, people should realize that you're not, people should distinguish between investing and speculating. And I think everybody, my, my favorite book, definitely inspired by Warren Buffett, but it's the intelligent investor, Francis Benjamin Graham. And they will always say about the, you will talk in the book about the pendulum of, of, of sentiment. And at the end of the day, it's just a sentiment that's swinging left and right. But what you need to realize is you're not investing in the market. You are investing in actual companies that are profit-making. Take, for example, Apple. Apple has not been through a period in the last 20 years, well, since it started, where it has actually made a significant operational loss. Still, it has been through quite significant market downturns. And that's just people trying to invest or to speculate, invest on emotions and forgetting that they are actually investing in profit-making companies. Even if you buy an index, you're not buying an index, you are buying 1,500 companies, which are most of them profit-making companies. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been on the on the exchange. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Well, Laurentius, that was a brilliant way to end this series. Thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge and your wisdom and your insights. We really appreciate that. Uh, a big thank you to Timeline as well for supporting the assembly this year. If you do want to keep the conversation going, don't forget you can go onto the Big Tent or send us an email and we'll pop the links to the earlier videos in this series uh, below this video. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, goodbye from us.